Podcast. Nick Hales of the Redskins Wonder and Joshua Johnson are here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Waiting. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, finally summertime, right? <laughs> the whole country is getting warm. Can't complain. How you doing today? I was doing just fine until the leg of my desk almost fell off. Needs to be tightened with a screwdriver. But anyway, um, <laughs> if you hear a loud crash at some point in time, that uh, might be me. Uh, absolutely insane show for you today. I'm very excited about it. Um we've got Phil Steele coming on. If you don't know who Phil Steele is, Phil Phil Steele, excuse me, shame on you, because he is like it when it comes to college football. The Zen master, the sensei, whatever you want to call him. So he's going to be joining us here in about a half hour. So super excited about that. We're going to talk about some some prospects to watch here this upcoming college football season. Uh just a few newses and notes. Newses and notes. Um um, I guess that is what, that's what it says. Um, <laughs> got a great dynasty dilemma as we fit Kevin White versus Laquan Treadwell. Um, little dynasty trade analysis, as always. Um, Nick is going to rant. We're going to, I think this is the last of our draft grading series as we grade each other's uh, DFW 36 draft. And uh, I'll talk about the best number 39 in NFL history as well. So uh, great stuff for you as always. Uh, next week we have uh, Jed Drenning coming from the University of West Virginia. He's their color analyst on the radio. Tell us, talk about all about all types of uh, hybrid defensive players, if you will, including obviously two guys from West Virginia that got drafted this year in Carl Joseph and K.J. Dillon going to the Raiders and Texans, respectfully. Um, so very, very, very excited about that as well. But anyway, Nick, I just I just had a quick thought. Um, I I've, Obviously, as somebody who watches film all year long, I, something hit me the other day when I was watching it. Um, what do you think? Why do we still have this intentional grounding? Aren't we supposed to be protecting the quarterback, do you think if they t- decided not to make that or maybe lax the rules a little bit, you think people would really abuse it? You, you know what I really do, actually? And according to NFLPenalties.com, <laughs> it was actually only called 34 times last year. That that kind of surprised me that there was only 34 intentional grounding penalties all of last season. But, yes, I do think it would be abused. It would just make it easier to throw the ball away. And I would guess on most of those 34 calls, the quarterback tried to throw the ball away, and the defense just forced it to be unsuccessful. Plus, there's got to be one penalty that's on the quarterback, right? I mean, illegal forward pass, what does that happen five times a year? Uh, delay of game penalties half the time. That's on the coach for not getting the play in on time. Now, you know, one change I would be in favor is if they give the defense credit for sacks on intentional grounding calls. I would be all for that. I get so mad when the quarterback <laughs> gets the flag and, you know, my fantasy defense or, you know, IDP player doesn't get any credit for it. That's not fair, right? 
There you go. Getting your IDP twist on it. I love it. Um, yeah, actually, that number surprises me. And I'll, I will admit, I watch more condensed film than I will sit down and watch a full NFL game. So I, I not that I don't do that, but but you know, if if you do that, you really can't watch them all. So you watch versions of the other, or you have this awesome thing called the red zone. Um, so I, I, that number surprises me. I'm surprised there was actually that many because I just feel like I don't see it very often. Um, and maybe that's why I'm sounding so uh, so weird about it. But uh, yeah, I do think teams would probably abuse it. But um, I don't know. It just seems interesting in the in the league where we're constantly trying to protect the quarterback that that's still still a thing so um is what do you think about arian foster nick is he ever gonna sign somewhere well yeah i mean he's definitely worthy of a roster spot i don't know if he should be an every down back like he has been previously in his career i just don't don't think his body can hold up to, to that kind of pounding but definitely uh you know could help a team out you know you know getting maybe 150 touches this season something like that yeah, well, and I think we kind of saw the same thing with Chris Johnson last year. I'm not exactly sure when in the off season he got signed, but I feel like it was pretty late. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think everybody's got got their RB one right now. So unless unless we see a huge injury, we're not going to see Foster be brought in to start. But you know, Chris Johnson ended up getting a whole lot of carries when he went to Arizona last year too. But uh, I just thought, you know, the, the story with with Arian is all the same. It's just the injuries if he can stay healthy. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't really know who's going to sign him. It seems like everybody's got too many backs right now, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It'd be interesting to see where, where he does end up going. So um, I, I can see that. I'm just sitting here mumbling and trying to think of a team that, that could actually use a running back and, and nobody's, nobody's really popping popping into mind so it's just it's a weird like it's a weird time with a lot of people having 90 man rosters right now it's kind of hard to how you would fit another another old injury prone player like that in so uh, I, uh, I kind of feel like the the Redskins backfield could use a guy like Arian Foster there's not a whole lot of proven talent there that you're right there's not a lot of proven talent there um Chris Thompson you know certainly did his third down thing last year and then they have Jones and Marshall, so it wouldn't seem it wouldn't be like a bad uh, a bad backup plan there. So, yeah, not a not a bad thought there. What about Von Miller, Nick? Is, is you know he's, this thing is still going on, and and you know the one thing that I I keep what's coming to mind when when I hear all this Von Miller news, you know, recently he said he wouldn't no way he'd play under the tag. Is is he the best front seven player in the NFL? I, I don't think he is, and and but but he wants to get paid like that, and everybody wants the biggest contract after somebody else just got the biggest contract. I mean, I feel like he took full advantage of of a handful of weak offensive lines in the playoffs last year, and his obviously becoming the Super Bowl MVP, your stock is never going to be higher. But it's not like this guy goes out gets twenty twenty five sacks every year. Nobody can block him. I mean, he had eleven sacks and thirty tackles shined in the playoffs. Larry Brown shined in the playoffs. Malcolm Smith was Super Bowl MVP. I mean, obviously, Vaughn has had a bit, little bit of better career up till this point, but, you know, it's one of those things when these players finally get paid, then their career starts to 
regress a little bit. So I, I just it's it's interesting happenstance there in Denver, and we'll see what what Elway does because he's been pretty stingy up till this point. What do, what do you think? Think they'll get this thing t- taken care of? Well, I hope they get it taken care of. And I mean, you mentioned you know guys see other players around the league getting huge contracts, and they want their piece too. A uh, guy like Fletcher Cox gets a you know sixty million dollars guaranteed. I think Von Miller is at least as valuable a player as Fletcher Cox. So you know, he like you said, he he knows his value is never going to be higher than it is right now, coming off Super Bowl MVP and an amazing playoff run. Uh, I say, you know what, Von Miller, get get everything you can because this kind of opportunity is a once in a lifetime uh, type of time for a player like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I do I do feel like if I was going to give somebody that contract, Fletcher versus Von, I think I would go with Fletcher Cox mainly because I think defensive linemen that are that are as athletic as he is and that penetrate as often as he does I, I i just feel like those are harder to come by those are those guys come by you know you know maybe we see one every three years where there's there's probably a von miller in every draft class. see there's there's guys that get double digit sacks in every draft class eventually right from that uh, I, position I, I, I think i would go the other way you know there are there there may be a von miller in this draft class but there's also, you know, for every Von Miller, there's going to be a handful of guys who don't pan out to be Von Miller that are drafted pretty high, you know. So I, I think those edge rushers, guys that can get after the quarterback, that, that is pretty much the most premium position in the NFL on defense right now, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I, guess I, I agree and, and disagree with that <laughs> to some certain degree. <laughs> um, uh, well, like I said earlier, we have a awesome – Dynasty dilemma for you as we pit um, Laquan Treadwell versus Kevin White. Um, I have a couple. I wrote down like a handful of them like a month ago, and I'll explain that in my portion. My portion here, but I don't know. None of them really strike me as something that something that would be timely for next week. So I'll have to think on who we're going to talk about next week. But uh, let's do Laquan versus Kevin. White. Um, one second here. Okay, I'm not going to find the music. Sorry. Uh, I so we're doing the Quan Treadwell versus Kevin White here for this week's dynasty dilemma. I own both of these players, um, actually in the same league. And chances are, if White doomed your team, you probably had the chance to draft Treadwell as well, much like I did. Excuse me. So last week, I had the rookie, and Nick had the two-year veteran. We we when we did Alan Hearns versus Sterling Shepard. This week we flipped the script. Well, kind of. I decided that I we should do Treadwell versus White. Uh, it was actually like in mid-May, right after rookie draft season, hence Dynasty Christmas. And uh, honestly, I had no idea who I would choose when I wrote it down. I simply knew I owned both of them. And I thought it would be obviously good fodder. I chose White basically basically to flip the script. However, I somehow forgot in that very moment that he's basically a rookie as well. Um, and let and let me tell you, if you think defending a rookie versus a veteran is hard, uh, try defending a, a try making positive pontifications about a redshirt rookie like White. We should have the college game tape to fall back onto. But what what is White? 
when he's basically 18 months removed from playing in an actual game. So I don't know for sure, but I guesstimate that probably at least this is probably at least our 60th dilemma, Nick. So I think the 60th dilemma for me and Nick going head to head. Along the way, I've just I've deciphered a handful of angles in which I try to sharpen like spears and throw at my dear island friend over there. Today's spear is, of course, ADP. Last year, White was a resounding 1.04 in rookie drafts. Meanwhile, Treadwell was a was one basically 1.0 to this season. So I think that probably gives the advantage to White is it's a little bit lower. But I also feel like if you're picking in the top two, your team is bad. And if you're maybe making a safer play. And even if you trade up into that top position, in your opinion, your team is missing something. So now if you have to pick 1.04, you are basically the worst of the middle of the pack and you simply slid down into that uber solid draft position. However, I like like I said earlier, you should probably, or even you probably had Kevin White there. Or he probably Kevin White was all that was left. Excuse me. And uh, well, or either that, or maybe you got Bill Gordon. But anyway, uh, but but you choose, but you chose you were sticking. You chose White, and you're sticking with him because White was able. And White was ma- made you able to choose Treadwell. I, I'm making – am I making any sense at all here? <laughs> I actually wrote that down. Uh, basically, with with evil, there – without evil, there is not righteousness. So, without you, Kevin White, on your team last year, you didn't get – and you got the enormous pleasure – and you didn't get the enormous pleasure of drafting Ezekiel Elliott. You probably ended up with a guy like Treadwell. You probably – you know, you saw White, you knew he was sexy, you knew he was probably number four of the top four, but you ended up going really safe this year in drafting uh, Mr. Treadwell. Excuse me. So, now, in White, White doomed your squad last year, so at least, but at least he didn't eat up a roster spot like, uh, like Melvin Gordon did. Um, for the for startup ADP, white is currently 3.08 in our collective DSW algorithm, while white, excuse me, while Treadwell is trending at 4.01. So it's basically a preference thing. But look, let's look at the situation. Uh, the better, the, I think I think white gets the better situation for 2016, and I think if he has a good 2016, I should say he has there's less chances that Chicago brings back Elshon Jeffrey. That cannot be said for Treadwell unless unless you envision Kyle Rudolph and Cordell Patterson as as noteworthy losses for the Vikings this upcoming offseason. White will have free reign of the wide receiver one role in Chicago, and the team will be built around him if, again, he has the 2000, successful 2016. I think Treadwell is going to be a very solid NFL player. I just feel like he's, he's his ceiling – is somewhat limited. He's got an insanely great floor, but his ceiling, I think, is very limited. Treadwell also has Stefan Diggs to contend to, with at least for the next three seasons. And they will both be limited by, of course, the Vikings' run-centric offense. Now, Nick, before you go, did we not just do Treadwell versus somebody a few months ago? Do you remember? Uh, not I felt like I was, head. No, I, I do not. felt like I, I was battling against Treadwell. Uh, deja vu style halfway through this box. But anyway, go ahead. What do you got for us on uh, Treadwell? 
Well, I think there's a big reason that there's a nine-slot difference in the DFW wide receiver rankings between these two guys, and that's because Kevin White, after missing his entire rookie season with an injury, he's a very risky player. And, yes, I know that Treadwell also had an injury in college, but that was in 2014, and he came back with a great 2015. So, to me, that's no longer a concern. And even if White is fully healthy, he's not going to be the wide receiver one in Chicago as long as Alshon Jeffrey is around. While it wouldn't be at all surprising if Treadwell was getting more targets than Stephon Diggs by midseason, especially considering that many perceive Treadwell being a possession type of receiver due to his not-so-great 40 time. You know, because a, a bad 40 time is the end of the world, just ask Gary Rice and Anquan Bolton. Uh, yes, if, if White is 100%, he's faster than Treadwell. But sometimes in fantasy, you prefer the consistent possession receiver who gets five to eight catches, 50 to 100 yards, and maybe a score every game to the big play guy who one week goes five catches, 145 yards, and two scores, but then the next three games combined for three catches and 70 yards, a la Deshaun Jackson. And in PPR leagues, of course, the difference is even farther. And while Jay Cullen... Jay Cutler may fling it around more than Teddy Bridgewater right now. Cutler's 33, and he's only led the Bears to winning seasons in three of seven years. So if they don't make the playoffs, he could be gone, which would likely have a detrimental impact on White's uh, stat line. But Teddy Bridgewater is kind of an up-and-coming quarterback. And while he's considered a game manager today in a run-based offense, it wasn't too long ago that Russell Wilson had carried the same stigma. So, you know, Teddy Bridgewater isn't necessarily doomed to Alex Smithville for all eternity. Uh, you know, I will say, if you have a team that's already loaded with wide receivers, twos and threes, and you want somebody that's got, say, top five potential, then yes, Kevin White should be your choice. He does have a far higher ceiling. But if you want a safer guy who should at the very least be a solid wide receiver, two for you for the next few years, then I think it's Treadwell all the way, especially in PPR leagues. Okay. Uh, well, before I rebut, I, I do echo your statement about having the, the safe guys in PPR. Guys like uh, Will Bolden, like you said, even even a guy like Brian Hartline there for like a three, four-year stretch in Miami was just just such a valuable nugget to have on your team. Even if you didn't play him every week, if somebody got injured or needed a player to play, he would just, you know, go out there and just get seven catches for 60 yards. You know, Dwayne Bowe even had – those types of years. Obviously, I think Tread was way better than both of those guys, but I do echo that statement. And I think this is probably the most positive you've ever been about Teddy Bridgewater. Coming up, to, <laughs> I'm sure the Vikings fans on staff here will be happy to hear that. But uh, there's there's a lot of them here, a lot of Vikings fans here. But uh, I just, and I hear what you're saying, but I think I think White is certainly definitely a more complete product than. Um, then Deshaun Jackson, I and I think he's probably got maybe just a little bit better better head on his shoulders in terms of uh, you know how he's going to approach the game and whatnot. And I feel like sometimes these guys that miss miss time like this just just if there's you know there's old obviously certain ways that they can handle it. But if they come if he comes back with a, with a vengeance, he could be very very uh, awesome. And I and I do honestly think, like I said earlier. If he has a good 2016, even if he doesn't have a great one, but if he has a good one, do not be surprised if, if they just let Treadwell walk because I think that's certainly a possibility here. Just remember, I think I, I have some some piles of scouting notes from last year. I wanted to see who, since you went there a little bit comparison-wise, I wanted to see who I wrote down for Kevin White. Uh, Jordan Matthews and Odell Beckham. So, 
that's how I felt about him a year ago. So maybe, maybe that should be, uh, that should obviously be treated very softly. But uh, that's that's how I felt about him after after watching plenty of game film. Um, does a lot of things very fast. Does everything fast. An exceptional concentration when catching the ball in traffic. So um, that being said, I think Jay Cutler could be in store in store for maybe the best year of his career. Dare I say, with the Especially if Alshon stays healthy, you know, if Alshon gets hurt, and we've seen that happen, I've suffered through that on 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 redraft leagues with Alshon getting hurt. So uh, look out, Kev, look out for Kevin White. But I think, you know, if you're at that point of your fantasy draft, it's it's it's, it's a preference thing. And uh, Nick does make very solid sense. You know, I could choose. You ask me again, I could probably choose Twitwell and make a very great argument there. So, any further thoughts there, Nick? Uh, no, I think we pretty much hit on everything, but I will say that I, you know, going into the draft, uh, I was high on Teddy Bridgewater. This isn't the first time I've said nice things about uh, Mr. Bridgewater. <laughs> you know, I, I did think that coming out of uh, coming out of college, that he would be a pretty good NFL quarterback. Well, and I think the thing with because I think it's warranted because you, we haven't seen Teddy hit the ground running. You know, we, you know, they they got Adrian Peterson. Why are you going to ask your rookie quarterback to go out there and throw the ball? throw the ball 40 times a game when you got a guy named Adrian Peterson. I mean, why, why would you do that? So um, we'll see, we'll see how he grows. And, but that's obviously allowed him a lot of time too. And one thing I've never probably said this before, but one thing I absolutely love about Teddy Bridgewater, when you watch Vikings games, is no matter what the situation, no matter what happens on the play, and yeah, he'll celebrate if it's a big play or a touchdown, but if he gets, if he gets sacked on a crucial, like, you know, second, second and four, and they get sacked for like an eight-yard loss, he steps back up and he is focused. He's not yelling at anybody. He's just got a smooth head on his shoulders. And I think that's, that's probably one thing that's a little bit understated when we evaluate, evaluate quarterbacks. But I think moving forward, I think that, that is going to help him very, very much so. Uh, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Uh, so we've got about eight minutes to tell Phil, uh, Phil Steele. Lamar, this is an interesting one. Uh, Lamar Mill and Lamar Miller and pick 1.12 for Amir Abdullah and pick 1.03. What do you got? Well, I first off I have to say that all of the trades that we're about to discuss have been pretty much the closest trades that I can remember us uh, talking about in recent memory. Anyway, um, I, I really like this trade for both sides. I'm guessing you know the team that uh, traded for Lamar Miller is more in win now mode. So you know, trading, uh, giving up that 1.03 pick, you know, for a guy who's going to definitely contribute this year in Lamar Miller, I, I think it's pretty fair on both sides. I would probably side just a little bit with the uh, the team that picked up the 1.03, being able to move up in the draft because Amir Abdullah does have pretty high upside if he's able to solidify a starting role there in uh, in Detroit. So I would I would probably go with the team that uh, traded up in the draft, but again, it's a very close trade. Yeah, and like you said, it totally depends on your uh, your situation. Uh, but I yeah, I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty fair trade too. And I I don't know what Amir Abdullah is to this offense. Um, you would assume they'll lean on him maybe a little bit more than they did last year with with a big piece in Calvin Johnson missing. I'm not saying they're going to split him out right to be their ex wide receiver, but you know what I mean. He's gonna he's gonna see some some more stuff, and I. I Absolutely love watching game film on this guy. Um, I have not 
there's only a couple of college players that I've seen return kicks with just the, the vision and just tenacity. Uh, I think DeAndre, DeAnthony Thomas is another guy who just just looks so phenomenal returning kicks. So if he gets you know if he gets that opportunity to maybe carve that niche for the team, maybe that's a good a good role for him. But uh, you know, you're you're. I think you're playing with fire. We're talking running backs. So our question and answer this week's going to be pretty running back centric. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, and I do want to say too, we we are we're probably going to commercial up eventually. But our one of our our our, our sponsor, if you've ever had one, is a guy, is a website by the name of FantasyData.com. Um, it's a monthly. You pay a monthly serve price to uh to look at this website but it's absolutely worth it they have everything from nf nfl to they're adding college football they just they just added major league baseball splits pitchers versus batters so it's and what if they're not going to do something if they can't do it to the max so check it out fantasydata.com uh, great guys over there and just awesome awesome stuff so um, sorry, where were we at? Uh, Devontae Booker for Marvin Jones. This is from a 16-team league, two running back, two wide receiver, two flex, and it's also PPR league. What do you think they're making? Well, I think for this year, definitely the side that picked up Marvin Jones is a winner. However, I'm not sold on Marvin Jones being a long-term answer there in Detroit. So I think in the long term, I would side with the team that picked up Booker, but definitely for 2016, the side that got Marvin Jones got the better deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on this one. Initially, I thought, wow, that's that's not enough for me to move to move Booker, but, you know, we if Marvin Jones becomes a great wide receiver in Detroit, it's certainly... It's certainly worth a shot. I mean, there there is a window for him to to grow there. But I think I think it's a pretty fair trade. I mean, you're looking at it's a PPR, so with 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 essentially a, the possibility of starting four wide receivers, um, probably still still want to lean Marvin Jones. And I know being in a 16 team league, Nick, if you don't hit on all your running backs and wide receivers in that startup, it's you need to. You really need to make a focus on that. Maybe this isn't full IDP like the one that we're in, but uh, it's hard to to have a you know a slate of eight wide receivers that you can count on or six running backs. It's really, it's really hard. So uh, I, I understand this trade. I guess I want to <laughs> say in closing, uh, Tevin Coleman for Sammy Coates, sixteen team PPR. What do you think about that one? Well, I definitely agree with you. The 16-team league is uh, <laughs> it's a completely different animal than the 10- or 12-team league. Uh, but as far as Kevin Coleman for Sammy Coates, uh, again, a very even trade, I think. Um, I think it just depends on your team needs. So uh, one team needs a receiver, got Coates. The other team needs a running back and got Coleman. I will say, though, uh, as far as the Atlanta running backs are concerned, uh, Devontae Freeman made a huge jump from year one to year two. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we saw a similar jump with Tevin Coleman. Not as, as, you know, he's not going to rush for 1,000 yards likely like Freeman did. But I do see a big, pretty big bump in his numbers coming in year two. I hope you are right. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, our good buddy Phil Steele, love him, just tweeted out that he's going to be on our show. Uh, so that's that's awesome. He's probably calling in right now. Um, yeah, I, I hope you're right. I, 
I think Sammy Coates' value is up right now, and if you have him, I would certainly recommend trading him because you're going to get a lot, a lot more bang for your for your buck right now, especially if he fizzles out. You know, one thing that always comes back to me is everybody that I know that watched film on him talked about his hands. He's going to drop balls. He doesn't have the greatest hands. And isn't that like the most important thing wide receivers do is catch the ball? I mean, you can run a 4-8 as long as – but if you catch the ball and, and are able to, to juke one guy, you're going to probably stay stay in the league. But, uh, yeah, I know he's a big physical wide receiver, and they're going to need him in this offense, but I, I, I just got big inhibitions about him. And I love Tevin Coleman, so I wish – I wish him the best, and as a somebody who's invested in him, not as not as highly as I as I want to be, but I still still hope he can do some do some great things down the line there. So I, I'm holding out hope there. What do you think about Marcus Mariota in a late 2017 for Jordy Nelson? I would have to side with the uh, team that picked up Marcus Mariota and the uh, first round pick, uh, Jordy Nelson. He's great when he's healthy, but he's kind of getting older, a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, so for the long term, definitely you're picking up a young quarterback like Mariota, who I'm, you know, I am partial to. I'm a Ducks fan. I live on Maui. So, you know, I like Marcus Mariota. I am I'm definitely biased there, but I will side with the team that went with the long-term investment with the first round pick and the quarterback. Awesome. Yeah, I, I like that side too. Jordy Nelson is 31 years old. I mean, it's one thing to have dependable wide receivers, but if you can get, even if it's a, you know another another first round pick and a, a future quarterback, and this depends on how you feel about about running quarterbacks. You know, people do not like some people don't like them at all, but uh, that's that's a close one for me. So we do have Mr. Phil still on the line, so I am going to patch him through. Phil, are you there? I am. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's Phil Steele, philsteele.com. Um, if you, you, you know, his name, he just, I just got your magazine in the mail the other day, Phil. It's, oh, I should say book. It's a 300 page <laughs> magazine. Uh, thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Real pleasure being on and, uh, talking some football with you today. Okay. Well, we got some, we got some questions for you. Some player centric questions here as we, as we, Hold, hold on to the fact that we're a couple months away from football, but we're, we're still very excited. So what, let's just get ready. Actually, why don't, why don't you talk about your magazine for a second? Just, I mean, obviously we know how awesome it is, but how, is this the biggest one you've ever put out? I, I know I've had it in years past, but this thing is thick. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, and it's, uh, it's about the same size it was last year, 352 pages. But the, uh, the beautiful part about the magazine is we cram a lot more information into those pages than any other magazine out there. So I feel it is three to four to five times the amount of information any other college football preview. I believe the other magazines give you about 200-word write-ups. We give you a 1,000-word write-ups on each team. We give you not just the projected starters, but a, a projected three or four deep on each team, plus a little bio on each player, as much as uh, space will allow complete stats from uh, the past year, complete stats for the team for the last uh, 
seven years. You get complete records for the last ten years. And the beautiful thing is everything is located in the same spot on the same page for every team. So if you want to know who a starting tight end is for any team, you know exactly what part of the page to look. If you want to know uh, a team's uh, record for a score from a game from three years ago, you know exactly where to look. So it's uh, <laughs> three, 352 pages just packed with information and the most accurate magazine over the last 18 years. A lot of work goes involved into this magazine each year. Yes. And I've heard you on other radio shows, and I, and I understand you you still have the the room in your house with, what was it, 12, 15 TVs? <laughs> Actually, that's in my office. I have an office where in I have 15, 15 to 20 employees. I've got 12 TVs in front of me. And sometimes I have to have the 12 TVs going and get a couple of computers uh, to pick up some extra games out there in case there's 14 or 15 games on at one time. Okay. Well, I guess my next question is, are you hiring? <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, well, you know, you know, you got you got uh, you got uh, options if you ever are. But uh, let's get into it. Uh, is uh, is Deshaun Watson the best quarterback in college football right right now? Uh, I would have to say so. I mean, you look at uh, you go back to the championship game last year. Uh, Deshaun Watson and the Clemson offense put up 550 yards against the best defense in college football, which was Alabama. Watson last year at the start of last uh, last season was coming off an injury, so they didn't use him 100% to his mobility. But they started to in the second half of last year, and that's really when the Clemson offense exploded. He had over 1,100 yards rushing. He had over 4,000 yards passing. He accounted for 47 touchdowns. He's my pick to win the Heisman Trophy this year, and uh, I would list him as the best quarterback. Now, I do have some other names for you if you'd like me to toss them out there, some guys that should have some pretty big years statistically. Um, We're going to start with Mississippi, Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly's a guy that can hurt you both running and passing, might have the biggest arm in college football, and uh, he's returning after throwing for 4,000 yards last year. His really only question coming into last year was the off-field stuff. That's been corrected. I think Chad Kelly's going to have a big season this year. When I talked to all my NFL guys in the offseason, Brad Kaya kept coming up. He's probably the number two quarterback for next year's draft. I think he's got a good supporting cast with him. Mark Rick's going to be calling the plays this year. I look for Brad Kaya to have a big season. Of course, if you're looking statistically, you want to go with an offense that puts up a lot of points and yards. That's going to be Texas Tech. And Patrick Mahomes is another guy who's got the mobility, and he's also very accurate. In fact, when I talked to Coach Kingsbury last spring going over the team, he said the one thing he hoped to accomplish with Mahomes was cut down on the turnovers and add the mobility factor, and both those things were accomplished last year. He should have a big season this year. A name from somebody who has doesn't have the stats yet, but it's Max Brown of USC. I think Max Brown is going to come out and uh, have a very good year. He's got tremendous supporting cast. The skill players around him at USC, the offensive line, and if he has a big year, you might see Max Brown become a first-round draft pick, despite the fact he hasn't even started yet. Wow, yeah. good, good insight there. You're listening to the, the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We're talking with Phil Steele. Um, do you have a do you have an official title for yourself? Just. <laughs> uh, I call you the Zen Master of College Football. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. What the heck? Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we all know the the big pass rushers in Miles Garrett and uh, Jonathan Allen, Texas Tech. Excuse me, Texas A and M uh, and Alabama, respectively. But who are who are some other pass rushers to watch for this upcoming year? 
Uh, well, I'm going to start with a guy. Now, you mentioned Alabama. Uh, I'm going to go with Tim Williams of Alabama. If you watch the spring game this year, Tim Williams was almost unblockable. They sort of had to take him out in the second half just so the offense could accomplish something. Last year, he had ten and a half sacks, and uh, this year he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and uh, I, I look for Tim Williams to have a big year pass rush-wise this season. Another guy to look at is Devontae Fields of Louisville. Now, here's a guy that was the Big 12 mm-hmm. Defensive Player of the Year when he was at TCU. Went off to a JUCO, got at Louisville last year, and really got off to a slow start. Took him a while to get into the system. In fact, in the first seven games last year, Devontae Fields had a grand total of four TFL. But in the last seven games, 18 TFL. He really exploded. And I think he's going to be one of the top players in the ACC this year. Last year he had 11 sacks, 11 TFL combined. Uh, for 20, the 22 TFL, but the bulk of it was in the second half of the year, and I look for a big year this year. Demarcus Walker of Florida State. When I talked to Coach uh, Jimbo Fisher in the spring, going over the players on the team, he said Demarcus Walker was the MVP of the defense. He's a guy that had ten and a half sacks last year, and the thing that Coach Fisher likes about him, he's one of the team leaders. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's coming out of that defensive end position. Florida State's defense can be a lot tougher this year. You can't just focus on one player. I think Demarcus Walker will have a big year. I'm going to throw out a couple of names that aren't your household names, but two guys that should have pretty big seasons as well. One's at Florida Atlantic. It's Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson had 13 and a half sacks last year, and he's another guy who in the spring was just dominating the spring game. They they had to take him out of the game so the offense could do something. He's got a lot of pride in his work. He's got a great lower body, and I think he has another big year sack-wise this year. And another guy from a smaller school is Terrence Waugh of Kent State. Nine sacks last year, and you look at the guy on paper, he's just six foot one, but he's got a seven foot wingspan and a tremendous work ethic. There's a reason he had nine sacks last year, and I think he's poised for a big year this year as well. Okay, yeah. I I absolutely love Fields too, so I'm glad I'm glad when I'm seeing I'm glad when you've given me validation for for what I'm seeing on film from Fields. So that's good good point there. And just one more point on Williams. Are you at all concerned with maybe those sack numbers being a product of just just the enormous talent around him, guys like Jaron Reed and Ashad Robinson, who we saw get drafted in the second round this year? Well, let's look at what Alabama's got back this year. You know, Jonathan Allen was the guy that could have been a first-round draft pick, and he opted to return. Reuben Foster, the signal caller of the defense, could have been a high NFL draft pick. He opted to return. Eddie Jackson would have been one of the top safeties taken in the draft. He opted to return. Deshaun Hands back up front. Delvin Tomlinson back up front. So they still have have my number one rated defensive on line number one linebackers and like I said with that talent around him he just ate up they were ones against ones in the spring and Williams was eating up Alabama's number one offensive line he was in the backfield the entire spring game so I think he's going to have himself a big year this year moral of the story Alabama's pretty darn good (laughs) next man up mentality there so I'm not going to throw any names out here I'm going to give it free reign for you but who, who are your top three wide receivers to watch this year well, I'm going to start with USC and go with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. I think when you look at the 
the size and the speed and, and uh, his production level is going to be right off the charts. I think he'll be one of the top wide receivers in college football this year. And uh, talking to Coach Helton this spring, I know he's going to focus. He calls him the best guy that they have on offense. So I, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy that's in for a big year. And here's one that not a lot of folks are looking at because he didn't really play last year, Mike Williams at Clemson. Coming into last season, Mike Williams was the best offensive player or besides Deshaun Watson that Clemson had. And Williams got injured in the opening game of the season. Now, Williams is 6'4", 220 pounds, great speed. He's got everything you want in a receiver. And uh, when I talked to offensive coordinator Jeff Scott this spring, he said Williams basically will be 100% this fall, probably could have been 100% in the spring. They just didn't want to push him. I think Mike Williams, with Deshaun Watson thrown to him, is bound for a big year. Two guys I've got at the top, NFL draft pick-wise, Malachi Dupree and Trevon Durrell, play on the same team. So if I'm going to pick a third receiver, I'm going to go with more of a guy that's going to be the feature one, and that's Jehu Chesson of Michigan. He really came on in the final few games last year. I think he had more yards and receptions, and uh, more yards, I should say, and receptions, yes, over the final four games than he had in his entire career coming in. And NFL scouts are all over this guy. So Jehu Chesson of uh Michigan gets a, a call there as my number three guy. Uh, once again, further validation. I was gonna if you didn't a- say Chesson, I was gonna ask you about it because I am super, super in love with what I see on film from him as well. So, uh, love that. Um, well, I have like a big six running backs in mind, and maybe you can just either talk about them or let us know if there's somebody that I'm that I'm missing. But uh, Samaje Piran, Jalen Hurd. Christian McCaffrey, Delvin Cook, Nick Chubb, and of course Leonard Fournette. I think those are the, the the big guys that stand out to me. Is there anybody I'm missing, or is there some, somebody else that we need to know about? Well, you know, of those big six, I think both Delvin Cook and Leonard Fournette are going to have big years. But let me throw some other names. I'm going to throw four names at you. First of all, a big name that wasn't in your six, and that would be Royce Freeman of Oregon. Uh, Oregon's always going to have an explosive offense. I I like what they have at the quarterback position more than what they had in the second half of the bowl game. Freeman last year rushed for 1,836 yards, 17 touchdowns, and he could top 2,000 yards this year. So it's an Oregon offense that's always explosive, will be explosive again this year, and Royce Freeman is a guy that uh, just missed that list. Now a couple of sleeper guys. First one is way off the board. And it's going to be an Alabama running back. But it's not going to be Bo Scarborough like everybody's picking to be the number one back. It's going to be Damian Harris this year. Uh, Damian Harris was my number one rated running back out of high school. I think he gives them some explosiveness, more like a Mark Ingram at running back at Alabama rather than a, a Henry of last year. And I think when you watch Alabama as the season goes on, you're going to see Harris start getting more and more of part of the carries. I think he'll be the number one rusher this year. And if you're the number one rusher for Alabama, odds are you're going to have a pretty big season. So Damian Harris of Alabama. And then two smaller guys that are playing against softer schedules that can put up some huge numbers. Don, Donnell Pumphrey of San Diego State. He rushed for 1,653 yards last year. He also had 400 yards receiving, 17 touchdowns rushing, three touchdowns receiving. And this year he's taken on my number 127 schedule in the country. If Donnell Pumphrey stays healthy, he turned down the NFL. They were very pleased he came back. I think he's poised for a big season this year. And then how about Larry Rose in New Mexico State? 
He rushed for 1,651 yards last year, had 283 in receiving, and New Mexico State's taken on my number 96-rated schedule. They figured to get a little bit better quarterback play this year. Rose is a, a tough back to stop. He had numerous 200-yard games last year. I think Larry Rose in New Mexico State's a, a nice look at also. Okay, well, I got I got to ask you about Piron then. I, I really like him. It, am I am I am I right in that aspect? I mean, he's so strong and the smaller mold. I think he just is in line for a really good year. Do you think? Uh, he is, and they've got two guys there. They've got P. Ryan and Mixon in the backfield. And you know, the one thing I like about P. Ryan, if you're looking for some a little bit of value this year, is two years ago P. Ryan had a fantastic year. He, he rushed for. Uh, uh, 1,713 yards, 6.5 yards per carry. They had a new offensive coordinator last year in Lincoln Riley, and in the first half of the year, I don't think they used the running backs the way they should be used. And then in the second half of the year, when Oklahoma got real good, that's when all of a sudden the running backs started gaining the bulk of their yards. And P. Ryan's numbers were down a little last year at 1349, but you'll find the bulk of that was in the second half of the year. So, yes, he is poised for a big season this year. Okay. Well, one more question before we let you go, and I, and I know you're you're kind of in the line of helping people uh, uh, making some betting advice. Is there is there any one team out there in, in college football land that we should we could be be surprised by? I kind of think the Tennessee Volunteers might surprise some people this year at the SEC. But anybody who should we watch out for? Well, I don't. I wouldn't list Tennessee as a surprise team this year because I think they're going to be in the preseason top ten. So if you're in the preseason top ten, I'd say you're not going to surprise a lot of folks. So I'll give you my number one surprise team this year, and it's out on the West Coast. It's a team that finished at at one point last year was just four and six, and uh, luckily won their last three games to finish seven and six. So you they don't have super high expectations coming into the year, but it's the Washington Huskies. And when I look at Washington last year. They lost six guys to the NFL off the defense. They only had four returning starters, yet Chris Peterson put together a heck of a defense. They allowed just 18.8 points per game and one of the best defenses in the Pac-12 last year. And this year, seven starters back on defense. They actually have my number three-rated defense in the country behind Alabama and LSU. Then you look at them on the offensive side of the ball. Last year they had a true freshman quarterback in Jake Browning. Browning was my number 10-rated quarterback out of high school. He had his ups and downs, as you would expect out of a true freshman, but still hit 63%, and he is now a sophomore. Miles Gaskin, their top rusher last year, he was a true freshman. He rushed for 1,300 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. Their game-breaker on offense, John Ross, missed last year with injury. Now, he's a threat to take it to the house anytime he touches the ball. He is back at that wide receiver spot along with a guy like Dante Pettis, they're going to be solid there, as well as the offensive line. Then you look at their schedule. They host Stanford. They host USC. They host Arizona State. Yes, they do have to travel to face Oregon on the road, but it's a very manageable schedule. I can see this team potentially even winning the Pac-12 this year, which would make them a threat to make the playoffs, and that's why they're my number one surprise team. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, Phil Still, philstill.com. Magazine is out. 25, 25th, is that right? Uh comes out on June the 28th, and that will be available at, at Walmarts, Walgreens, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target, CBS, Publix, uh, 352 pages. I guarantee if you open it up compared to any other magazine there, you'll see firsthand three to four times the amount of information. Now, it is hitting some places a little bit earlier right now, so that, that it's go check those places, you know, like Walmart, see if it's out there yet. Uh, if not, you can actually download it to your iPad or iPhone. 
through the Apple Store or your Android device through Google Play. And if you do it that way, you know you're going to use the magazine every day during the college football season. It's going to be all dog-eared at the end of the year. At least if you have it on your iPad or iPhone, you'll save a little bit of wear and tear on the magazine this year. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Phil. We appreciate you, and uh, keep uh, keep giving us the good knowledge. All right. Sounds good. A lot of fun talking football with you guys today. All right. Thank you, Phil. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Wow. Obviously, amazing stuff from Phil. And if you, if you see that name on a magazine, you need to pick it up because he 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 knows what he's talking about. I mean, just he did. He stats stats just fall out of that guy. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, any any thoughts there, Nick? I I didn't purposely forget your guy Freeman there. I I, I know, but I just I'm trying to pick out my big six for uh, dynasty rookie drafts next year. So what what you what can you tell me about well, Freeman that I go ahead? Well, as far as uh, leaving him off your big six for uh, dynasty rookie drafts for next year, I understand that just because of the stigma. The, a lot of uh, successful running backs at Oregon have not had the greatest NFL careers, so I definitely understand that. But I will testify to the fact that Phil Steele's uh, magazine is by far the most thorough college football magazine. That, back around the turn of the century, for about five years, I was completely addicted to the Madden franchise mode and downloading the uh, draft classes from the college football games. But, of course, the college football games couldn't use the players' names. So I always uh, actually used Phil Steele's magazine uh, <laughs> to input the names into the college game so I would know who I was drafting in the uh, in the Madden game because I knew that Phil Steele's uh, magazine had by far the most uh, comprehensive rosters and freshman classes and all that. So de- definitely love, love – have been a big fan of Phil Steele's work for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You should have told him that. That you said he probably has no idea, <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully, you know those guys that Phil mentioned. These are the guys that are going to be first round picks next year. So, uh, uh, and I love the validation he gave me on Chesson for uh, the wide receiver for Michigan and Fields from Louisville. Fields is, uh, if you saw my Debbie report that came out this week with the defensive line and edge players. Uh, I remember I've said I've said this before. I'll say it again. When I I say you know the edge bender is the term that everybody likes to use, but when I go edge crusher on somebody, that means I really like them. And excuse me, and that is uh, Fields was the only guy that got that uh, designation. So just just remember that. I think Miles Garrett's probably the top D line prospect, but Fields is right there behind him. Just just a bolt of bolt of lightning coming off the edge there for the Louisville card. So look out. Look out for him this, this upcoming season. Um, but amazing stuff. So it's time uh, for Nick Tarrant. This is the time every week where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him, something that's on his mind, usually football-related. Sometimes I like to call it shot fired. Uh, sometimes I, I call it other things. Sometimes I just babble on my explain. Nick, what do you got for us? So I'm guessing I'm not the only fantasy owner with a daily morning routine. It might be while you're still in bed or while you're drinking your coffee. But before leaving for work, if you're like me, you read all your favorite sports apps notifications on your phone. For me, it's Bleacher Report, and I follow all 32 teams. And being as a fact that if I wake up at 9 a.m., it's already 3 p.m. on the East Coast, so I have a lot of notifications for me every morning when I wake up. 
and then you check your emails for trade offers. Uh, then you head to your go-to website for the stories behind the headlines. You know, for me, that site, other than DFW, of course, is Pro Football Talk. So I admit that a lot of my rant topics are inspired by their work, and this week is no different. I was intrigued by something on their site, so I clicked on the source article on the New York Daily News about how Jim McMahon and some other former players uh, who are supporting the cause of medical marijuana use as a painkiller for current and former players. Uh, now, some claim that an extract, uh, CBD, helps with concussions. Now, I'm not here to say that it does or doesn't. I'm not one of those pop-for-sure-cures-cancer guys, but science has proven some other benefits. And since study on it was illegal for so long, we don't know for sure what other benefits it has. But we do know the detrimental effects of both weed and prescription painkillers that are currently readily available to NFL players. Now, I'll start with the painkillers. You know, the only time I ever took pain pills is when I had all my wisdom teeth removed. I don't remember what they prescribed me, but I threw out over half the bottle. It just made me feel like a different person. But I'd rather be in mild pain than not be me. And unfortunately, I've known and had people close to me have struggles with pain painkiller addictions, broken homes, lost jobs, car accidents, pharmacy robberies. I mean, those things have the potential to absolutely destroy lives. I've seen it happen, and secondhand, we've seen it happen with former NFL players. Just look at Ryan Leaf's struggles uh, with painkiller addictions. I'm guessing that those stemmed from his playing career. Uh, that you know, I don't know Ryan Leaf personally, but that would be my guess. Um, and, of course, I've also known daily marijuana users. Well, I can give you a fun personal story from the mid-90s when I was a closing supervisor at a fast food taco place. You know, my fellow supervisor got off work when I returned from break, so our deal was that I got to run home one block away every day at 6.30 p.m. for my half-hour break, and I would get super baked and watch NFL Tonight, which was, of course, the former name of NFL Live, and I would come back to work every time super high and just completely rock it. Now, I'm definitely not suggesting anyone do this. You will get in trouble. When I got caught, that was the closest I've ever been to being fired. So, you know, don't do that. But the point was that unlike if I had gone home and done Oxycontin or whatever, I was still able to function like a normal human being. So, you know, the concussion things aside, if as a painkiller it works, as well as pills for some people, even if it is solely a placebo effect, if it's working, then it should be available as an alternative. At the very least, the NFL should say that if a player is not arrested for it, then they will not be punished. Or, you know, at least not test for it if the player resides somewhere where it is legal, like Colorado or Washington, or, you know, uh, one of the states that is legal if you have a medical prescription for it. But unfortunately, anything that could possibly benefit the players is probably going to be off the table until the next collective bargaining uh, negotiations in 2021, I believe, because that's how multi-billion, corpor multi-billion dollar corporations work. Uh, if, you, if you don't believe me, the new L.A. Rams charged fans $550 for basically a meet and greet with the players. Uh, do you know the Seattle Mariners have a similar event in the offseason every year that my friend goes to, and she doesn't have to pay a dime to get into the Mariner Fan Fest. But the NFL and the L.A. Rams charge the dollars for this. You know, with the NFL, nothing is free, be it meet and greets for fans or CBA negotiations. What do you think, Josh? We have the exact same thing here with the Minnesota Twins. They come to Sioux Falls, where I live. It's about a five-hour drive, you know, with two or three players and one of their announcers. And, you, you, I mean, you can pay, you know, to get VIP tickets to get a little, you know, more extensive things, but it's uh, – but, you know, they do autograph lines and everything like that for free. That's, yeah, certainly not something that happens happens in the NFL. I uh, got to meet one of my childhood heroes, uh, Dan Gladden, who was on both 
Minnesota Twins and World Series teams. The, he was the guy with the long blonde hair. Love that flippy floppy hair. But uh, that's just, it's just, yeah, whatever. What were we talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I totally, when, when you first pitched this idea to me, I was just like, of course former NFL players should have access to marijuana. I mean, they're, you know, there's so there's so much that it benefits that it has been proven to do for uh, older older people are just you know people that have you know the that their bodies have been through so much in their career i i still would argue that current nfl players should not use it or maybe they should just do it like a you know on mondays or tuesdays maybe they don't practice on tuesdays so maybe they just have a uh <laughs> a hookah room or a bong session every Tuesday. But I, I, I just feel like as, as somebody who's used the drug myself, I, I don't think it's something that would be beneficial when I'm trying to be at the peak of my performance every single week. But in terms of after, or maybe even during the off season, I, and, and that's just the thing. And that's the thing why it isn't legal. There's just so many gray areas of when and why. So, but it's ter- in terms of the, the the initial point here, yeah, totally. I think the NFL should give it to players when they retire because they they, they need it. I can't imagine what those bodies feel like. I mean, I'm at the age now where even if I stretch before I do something strenuous, I'm still going to feel it the next day. And you know, honestly, honestly, that those things could uh, those that could very much help. So, and, and I I have taken painkillers. I've taken all of them when I've been when I had my wisdom teeth pulled and they they I don't I wouldn't necessarily say they made me feel like a different person they certainly made me sleepy and and knocked me out and I think I I, I needed that and I'm not saying it you know abused it by any means but one thing I will say I what anytime I've taken painkillers or even like a steroid because I've have I have back problems because I'm I'm tall and I have a big belly uh and the day I come off of those, I will, I feel like I'm in roid rage. I honestly do. I feel like I just every little thing just pisses me off. So I can understand the fact that where people can get, uh, well, I don't want to go through that. So they, you know, obviously this is on a much larger scale than, you know, me getting prescribed something for seven to ten days for the doctor. So um, I mar- marijuana might be the way to go. There's moral of the story here uh, for former NFL players there. Uh, and me are going to grade each other's DFW 36 drafts. So, Nick, why don't you go first? Oh, geez, I think I had a lot of picks in this one, too, didn't I? <laughs> uh, you certainly did. Uh, we'll start with the 1.16. You got Sterling Shepard, uh, 1.26, Devontae Booker, 2.07, Will Fuller, 2.11, Mike Thomas from the Rams, uh, 2.36, Malcolm Mitchell, the receiver for the Patriots. 3.26, uh, DeAndre Washington, the Oakland running back. 3.29, Carl Joseph, the Oakland safety. 4.11, Alex Collins, the Seattle running back. 4.12, the undrafted, uh, Kiaris Garrett, the uh, Carolina wide receiver. 4.30, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, 4.34, Todd J. Sharp. And 7.11, Charles Tapper, the Dallas defensive end. Uh, I really, really like this draft. you got six wide receivers. You know, at, at worst, two of these guys should pan out. If all six of them do, which, of course, is very unlikely, uh, you know, you'll be 
loving it. But, you know, at very worst, you should have at least two guys that you can play every week. Uh, and you do have a couple good wide receivers already. Jarvis Landry tops the list of your current wide receivers. So it's not like you were in immediate need of a wide receiver one. But you know what? Looking at your roster, your tight end situation scares me a little bit. I, I know that you love Eric Ebron, but if he doesn't pan out, then you have C.J. Fedorowicz and Michael Pruitt, who combined for <laughs> under 60 points last year. You know, if I were in your shoes, I would have tried to trade one of those picks for a good tight end. Or you know what? You tried to, tried to trade to get into the top three to get Ezekiel Elliott. I think you had the ammunition to do either. Uh, but since from an outsider perspective anyway, it didn't seem like you were in win-now mode, I can't hold those flaws against your draft too much. So I'm going to give you an A-minus for this. I, I, I really did like your draft strategy. Okay. Well, and I will say I did trade. I had Gary Barnage as my main tight end last year. Um, and I traded him for a second, or 2017 second and a in the third in the third 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 round pick this year. So I, I know I was going a little light there, but I also feel like I I have ammunition if I want to add a tight end. You know, there's still time before the NFL season. Um hence I just picked up Fedorowitz on the on the waiver wire. But uh I do obviously believe in Eric Hebron and this is this is showing you how much how much I do. Um but I still I I don't I mean I don't think I'm gonna this type of format, I, I have a hard time seeing myself, even if I make the playoffs, making a run this year. So I'm really still focused towards just one year away. And uh, obviously I hope to have the pieces gathered if I need to grab a tight end or I can find one. I, I'm very excited actually about both both Pruitt and maybe on a little bit lesser scale than Fedora. Who knows who's going to emerge as the tight end one there in Houston, but with all the weapons they have on the outside, he could, he could stand to have a fairly decent year. I'm not saying he's a a top five tight end, but he's uh, a guy that I could maybe start if I need to, you know, by, by weeks type of thing. So, um, yeah. And I, and I just wanted to tell people, I actually did have a higher pick. Remember we talked about this a little while ago, in the first round, but I just at that moment in time, that day, for whatever reason, I could not make a decision between Josh Doxson and Corey Coleman. So I ended up trading back and getting the, with the picks I traded back, I got Shepard and Fuller. So I, I, I feel like I added two, two wide receivers. I mean, obviously it'd be nice to have either, either Doxson or full or Coleman, but uh, I think I added two guys just, I mean, I think, Shepard is right on the level of Doxson and Coleman, maybe just a little bit down. And then, and then with the situation Fuller's in, I, I really like, I really like that situation there. So I, I was able to get a little bit more value out of this draft. Um, and I don't know how much I've talked about it. Maybe I've talked about it too much, but I think Charles Tapper is going to be a beast sooner, maybe sooner than later there with all the, with everybody else's, being suspended for that for that Dallas Cowboy team, so I'm I'm very excited about that pick there. Um, Nick actually only had three picks, partly because he took over a, a, an orphan team who traded everything away, but he just uh, went with a couple running backs. Though so he didn't have a pick till the fifth fifth round, five point three two, took Alex Collins, which is insane. The guy, like I said earlier, a couple months ago, this guy's got talent. It, you know. 
just because there's a lot of backs there doesn't mean he's not going to have a chance to to get that uh, that number one rushing spot, number one rushing RB one there for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that is still a very very realistic possibility. We know Fedador or Fedador was. We know Procise is is going to be used as the receiving back. So we'll we'll see. Not that Procise won't get any handoffs either, but we'll see how that uh, how that situation emerges. Uh, the next pick was Josh Ferguson, and I. I don't like Ferguson. The situation is okay, I, but I, I just personally don't. I don't see the translation into the NFL there for me. So that, and that's again just a preference thing on my part. I wanted no part of Ferguson. So, I, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make give Nick a horrible grade because he took him. Uh, but uh, that was 5.33, and then 7.25. You ended up taking Darunia Wilson, was seventh seventh rounder. It's kind of a. Sh- kind of a shot in the dark you know if it doesn't if it doesn't pan out obviously you're not going to be too too hurt if you have to have to cut your 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 seventh round pick there loose so i think you know you maybe potentially got two uh two decent contributing running backs in this league and who knows who knows what what new england could make out of Duranny wilson so i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a b minus obviously just because you didn't have the the uh, the higher the higher round picks it's not gonna it's not gonna have a lot of flash and splash to it but I'm gonna give you a, I'm gonna give you a B minus and any thoughts there Nick well the the Josh Ferguson pick that was all about the situation there's just not a whole lot of depth there in Indianapolis at the running back position so you know if the guy has a chance to get on the field as a fifth round pick I'm gonna go with that all every time and I also was able to uh, pick up some extra draft picks for next season I have two thirds two fourths and two sevenths so that that definitely helps me out for next year like you mentioned uh, the former owner of this team traded pretty much every everything away. Uh, so you know, I'm at least loaded for next year's draft. Yeah, and I'm assuming you probably still have a first as well, first and second pick next year as well, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's got a correct. First, first, second, extra third, and extra fourth, and and no fifth, but two uh, an extra seventh there. So um, yeah, I gave you a seventh there, but uh, yeah, so it's this is a. An insane league. I mean, obviously, I, this is we both took over DFW forty eight teams this past off season. Uh, Nick took over this one, the thirty six this past off season as well. I was in DFW thirty six last year, and, and it's just a wild league. It's so hard to, so hard to to predict it, but it's it's such a fun ride as it's it's a thirty six team league, full IDP, so everybody's got rolling like forty five man rosters in season. You're basically starting as many people on defense as you are on offense. It's it's wild. It's it's such a fun. It's probably my favorite league. It's just such a fun open league. I, I wish I knew a little bit more about some of the people in the league, but it's a, it's a it's a lot of fun there. So and right now, you know, people are people are carrying a little bit heavy rosters. We'll see what uh, as we see what uh, training camp and stuff will bring. So oh, excuse me, but uh, yeah, should be a, should be an interesting year. Um, we are at best number thirty-nine. Nick, what do you what do you got for us? I know there's a couple top-heavy names. Do you find anybody interesting along the way? Well, it is kind of top-heavy, but it's not the deepest number. I mean, to the point where running backs fast Willie Parker from Pittsburgh, Lawrence Maroney from New Orleans or New England, and uh, the current San Diego running back Danny Woodhead all they at least get a mention. 
Uh, another guy, Kermit Alexander, was a cornerback, return specialist, and safety for the 49ers, Rams, and Philadelphia from 1963 to 1973. He only made one Pro Bowl, but this guy was a playmaker. 28 fumble recoveries. That's good for a top 30 of all time. And he also had 43 interceptions. Uh, Sam Cunningham was a fullback who was the 11th overall pick by New England in 1973. Uh, he went to one Pro Bowl, and that was in 1978. Uh, Carl Lee, he was a cornerback who played 11 up to his 12 seasons in Minnesota between the 80s and 90s. Uh, Lee made his first of three consecutive Pro Bowls in 1988. That season, he had a career-high eight interceptions. Uh, next up, we have a five-time Pro Bowler and Hall of Fame fullback Larry Zonka, who won two Super Bowls with Miami and was part of the undefeated 1972 squad. Uh, Larry Zonka had three straight seasons over 1,000 yards, including the two Super Bowl, Super Bowl runs for the Dolphins. And I actually forgot that he played with the New York Giants for three of his final four years before returning to Miami for his last season, where he had his career-high 12 touchdowns in 1979, his final year. Now, a lot of football purists and historians will scoff at me for not naming the Hall of Famer Zonka as the top number 39 of all time, but he was successful with a great team around him, while Steven Jackson was the lone bright spot for some pretty bad Rams teams. Uh, Steven Jackson went over 1,000 yards every year from 2005 through 2012. He also caught 461 passes. He was kind of a dual threat running back. Uh, now, with over 11,000 rushing yards for his career, he is 18th all-time, and his 3,229 touches is 14th of all-time. Uh, Steven Jackson only went to three Pro Bowls, and it's very possible that he never gets into Canton. But to me, even though I'm a Ducks fan, I'm going to name the former Oregon State Beaver, Steven Jackson, the top number 39 of all-time. Yeah, that's, that makes some great points. Obviously, the... The historian in all of us wants to wants to say Zonka only because it's really a, such a fun name to say. Did you mention uh, Ray Crockett? Uh, I did not mention Ray Crockett. No. Okay. Ray was a player that was always intriguing to me because he seemed to have like like just these insanely long limbs. Like, and maybe he was just such a great playmaker. But the guy was only five ten. But you know when you see obviously when you see NFL players. As a kid, you think they're all just this huge, enormous monster. But he was 5'10", 185 pounds during most of his playing career, and he just he he played like with with the with the arms and the wingspan of like a man that was six three or six four. I mean, he was just a just a devastating cornerback. Had 36 career interceptions. Not 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 a huge number, but certainly uh uh you know over the course of uh. 214 games. That's certainly a, a fairly fairly decent number there. Um, but yeah, I totally hear what you're saying about Steven Jackson. I mean, just what I mean, and maybe it's more of the uh, the fantasy people uh, uh, in us. But uh, for him to do that on such bad teams, and he was like a, like you said, such a a great a great fantasy player in his in his time. Uh, but uh, yeah, phenomenal. I was. For some reason, I was thinking Carl Lee was part of the uh, Herschel Walker deal to Minnesota, but I think that was Isaac Holt. Uh, but uh, we'll get to maybe get to him a little bit later on. But yeah, great number. Uh, some current people that wear that. Obviously, Nick said Danny Woodhead, Saint Abdullah, uh, David Amerson wore it, wore it uh, last year as well for the Raiders. So uh, Brandon Carr. Uh, Brandon Brown Award. Lawrence, remember Lawrence Moroni? I was just looking looking up through the list. Like this guy that kind of had 
handful of guys that had their uh, their days in the sun fantasy wise. Lawrence Baroni was like a stud. Remember that Nick? He was like for a couple of years, two years in the middle, two years there. He was he was a pretty high drafted running back. Remember the former Minnesota Gopher, Mr. Maroney? Oh, definitely. Back back when you could actually trust a New England Patriot running back. Uh, shortly after the Corey Dillon era, I believe. Uh, yeah, and I think I think he came after uh, Marion Barber, another Minnesota guy. So they they had some they had some players come out of that school there. So uh, that is all we have for you today. Uh, obviously, huge thanks to Phil Steele for uh, just uh, bringing it as he as he I expected nothing less enormous pleasure to talk to him make sure you check out Jed Drenny next week and then I do have confirmation that the following week July 6th we will have uh, Chris Hickson the uh, professional quarterback trainer on so that should be for you in the next next couple weeks but obviously so thrilled to have Phil still on we know we've had me and Nick have had the pleasure to talk to some Pretty amazing guests over the years, and I met some pretty awesome people in this industry. But that was cer- certainly a thrill. You know, me and Nick have interviewed former NFL players Ross Tucker, Charlie Batch, uh, and JJ Burden. But uh, to, ha- to have somebody like Phil still on, that uh, was obviously a huge, huge pleasure. And that's that's I, we're going to have to really outdo ourselves to <laughs> to uh, to do something bigger than that. Uh, but. Uh, not to say I won't try. I will. I will always try. I send out. I send out many emails, and it was very, very fortunate to get uh, get something back from Phil Still's people. And uh, I will be submitting my resume to Phil just to let him know I'm out here. He wants to read it. So, uh, <laughs> any uh, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I will just wish you luck uh, uh, as far as getting uh, getting your name into Phil Phil Steele's team. That would be a great job. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could pay me to watch 12 screens and write down whatever you want me to do. Yeah, that's, that sounds good to me. But anyway, <laughs> this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Uh, I'm, I just about said I'm Nick Wagner. I'm Joshua Johnson. He's Nick Wagner. We will talk to you next week. Jed Drenning. Make sure you check it out. <laughs>